Welcome to the Propane Business Podcast. I'm Johnny. And I'm Yusuf. We set up and built propanefitness.com into the profitable semi-automated system that it is today, which allowed us to quit our corporate jobs and coach online full-time. More importantly, we were able to do this without a huge online audience or being glued to social media every day. We're now ready to share everything from the failures we've made to the systems that now consistently generate hundreds of thousands in revenue. We help personal trainers, coaches, and gym owners do the same by avoiding the mistakes we've made and the best practices going forward. Subscribe to this podcast to learn what we're doing and what we've done to build and scale propanefitness.com. We'll be teaching you how to generate a steady flow of online clients, win at Facebook ads, automate your coaching systems, and to achieve financial independence. Welcome back to the Propane Business Podcast. Today, we are with Dr. Emil Goliath. You might have seen him on Instagram as Project Goliath. And I've been really excited to talk to this man because we've had a relatively similar journey. Um, Emil stuck it out for much longer in medicine than than I think um, I could tolerate at this minute. But um, he was an A&E registrar and basically made the shift from that into online coaching and living the ultimate digital nomad laptop lifestyle. So, Emil, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, and I'll accept that as an introduction. That's, uh, I'll take that. Thank you. Yeah, so we, I mean, we, we've been back and forth quite a bit about the kind of frustrations of, um, of the, the jobs that we work in, and I'm obviously going to have to be quite careful with, <laughs> with what I say um, on this episode. But I think a lot of it is not really specific to NHS. It's more just the restrictions that a nine to five, or, well, or in, in the medicines job, like seven till midnight um, <laughs> job uh, gives you. And um, it would be really great to talk about some of the some of the lessons and insights and journeys that you've that you've that you've taken along the way, and also what you've the kind of pros and cons that you've um, that you've taken out of working as a doctor into what you currently do. So could you tell us a bit about who you work with right now and, and what it is that you do? Yeah, so right now, my kind of main thing is online coaching. Uh, I work with business owners and entrepreneurs. Most of them travel quite a lot, whether it's also the nomad lifestyle or just kind of um, frequent business conference travel. But yeah, it's a very interesting group of people. I really enjoy talking to them. I really enjoy working with them. And I really enjoy going to the events to kind of hang out with them and, and learn from them. So I can't remember who said the quote, but it, you know, you need to work with people you enjoy talking to because otherwise you'll burn out. So don't follow the niche that's most lucrative or, you know, which you think is going to be the best because you're not going to survive long enough. But yeah, we won't go to that. Entrepreneurs at the moment, uh, mainly, mainly guys, but mainly because most entrepreneurs are guys and that's not, you know, sexist. It's just, you know, demographics at the moment, but yeah, that's, that's it. It's a good point as well about like, don't just try and target a niche, which you think has the most money in it. If you have no interest yeah. in them or no expertise in them, it's a yeah. mistake that we see, I think, which is people will, they'll be like, Oh, middle-aged women, like soccer mom kind of um, demographic, like there's loads of money in them. So I'll go after them. And you're like, you're a 25 year old guy. Like what the hell do you know about coaching yeah. a, um, middle-aged woman like unless it's something that you really have the expertise in or at least have lived the journey or walked in the shoes of that person it's quite difficult to um, really fully relate with their with their problems unless there's some real exceptional um, circumstance with that so um, I think working with entrepreneurs having been one yourself uh, makes a lot of sense and I, I guess you share a lot of the 
a lot of the struggles of like just having your time completely um, unbounded and having to um, having to create your own structure in your day. Yeah, and and travel and you know calls. You know when we're in Asia, calls with America at crazy times in Europe. We've got both ends at crazy times, and most business owners that I work with also have a similar deal. They live in X and they trade in Y or whatever else. So, yeah, it's it's unique and, and similar, as you say. The the thing that um, you mentioned the kind of the travel. The thing that impresses me about the way that you've set up your life is that it's very it's very much like you've looked at your life from a high level perspective and been like, what what can I optimize for that will bring me the most happiness and the most freedom? And you've yep. fully gone after that, um, especially going from a job, which I think as doctors, we have the most, it, it's the maximum security job. Like you yep. will never be out of work. And you've gone from that to just basically diving off the the diving board. And you sent me a, a screenshot the other day of you kind of giving up your, your GMC registration, which properly gave me the wibblies. Cause that's like, man, that is the final bastion of job security gone. And here you are just fully in it. Can you, can you talk to us a bit about like the journey up to that point? Yeah. So, I mean, it's worth starting by saying I start, I became a doctor because at 16 or so, my dad was like, you should be a doctor. And I was like, okay, sounds like a plan. <laughs> job security, don't need to think about anything. I'm pretty good at science, pretty good at passing exams. My life is sorted. So it seemed like a great idea for a 15, 16 year old. And then through med school, I, I loved fitness. I worked in a gym. I picked up personal training qualifications. I did a sports science degree and was borderline interested in medicine, but very good at passing exams. Um, and then when I started working as a doctor, it was, you know, full on F1, F2, but I really got into anesthetics, like really geeked out on it, like went all in. And for me, that was enough. That was okay. I had something to focus on, to double down on. I loved doing it. I was doing exams early. I was really like, you know, buffing up my CV. And as an F2, my CV for an anesthetist was like total ninja. Um, and then when I started working as an anesthetist, I was sort of sitting with my bosses in theater and I was like, this isn't what I want. This isn't, this, this isn't it. Like, I don't know what is, but this isn't. So after four years of working as a doctor full time, like F1, F2, CT1, CT2, I I left. Um, it was August 2015, um, and I and I left. And I, I I didn't know what I wanted, but I know what I wanted to move away from. And initially, I kind of went to locum. I locumed as a as a A and E doctor, and um, started working as an online coach. I had connections in the industry, so kind of took mentorship with those guys. And also, actually, at that point, thought, right, I've got lots of science under my belt. How am I going to build a business? I'm going to get shredded and go on Instagram and be an Insta, Insta model influencer. The classic fit pro uh, process. If you get, I always say, if you just get lean once and then yeah. um, take 100 photos and then just schedule them out on Instagram, and then you can just be fat for the rest of your life, but no one yeah, has yeah. to know. So yeah. there we go. Nope. <laughs> pretty, pretty much, pretty much. And um, that's, that's, that was literally my super calculated strategy. So I competed as a bodybuilder for two or three years and just, I did like 30, 40 photo shoots just to get this bank of images. And actually in 2015, it was reasonably easy on Instagram. All you needed was a six pack. And, you know, I got up to like 20, 21,000 followers or whatever. But I mean, um, I think in fairness, you had more than a six pack. You were, you're absolutely huge. Like, especially in those photos, it was like, 
that is kind of bodybuilder big. So yeah, I was, you know what? So I did strongman. I did strongman during university. I bulked to 142 kilos. I literally pushed myself to borderline diabetes. So people are like, how did you get so big? And it's like, well, I spent three years systematically eating 6,000 calories a day tracked and I got to morbidly obese BMI of 42. And I was like, yeah, I gained a load of muscle. I trained four times a week, compound lifts, two hours each time, ate Haribo during my session and got stacked. And then when I dieted, surprise, surprise, I had a shitload of muscle. And um, yeah, it, it looked pretty good and it worked. And you know what? Like I competed at some bodybuilding shows and I won, I think, one of them. But it wasn't my goal. My goal was to have the photos, to gain uh, authority and winning one show. No, no one in the public knows what WBFF, UKBFF, whoever else, they don't give a shit. They don't even know first, second, third, fourth, fifth. They know you're stacked. They know you're on stage. You know you're wearing tiny pants. You know what you're doing. That's pretty much it, yeah. So I thought it was literally it. So it was it was a phase. It was it was interesting. It kind of I got the t-shirt. And ironically, now you look at any of my marketing and social media, and I don't use any of it. None of it whatsoever. This is the funny thing, but I suppose like I, over time, it looks like your your niche has kind of refined itself as well. Yeah. But um, this is the the mismatch that you mentioned between like what personal trainers and coaches think matters, like. Yeah. Um, you know, what specific federation they did or what their Wilkes is and all this kind of stuff. Like, you know, if you're coaching powerlifting, then fine. Like you've got a very aware market, but otherwise like most people are just like, oh, that guy's got abs. He kind of knows what he's doing or he, or at least talks credibly about stuff. Um, And I, you know, I posted the other day about um, clients don't care about your like level 23 kettlebell certification yeah, and your like that. postnatal nutrition counseling accreditation and stuff. It's like, can this client be convinced that you can help them go from A to B? Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's, it's a much more human trust and credibility and authority thing. And I think it's, it's great that um, the market is kind of coming full circle to that. Cause I think maybe 10 or five years ago, you know, it was going deep into the, the like aggressive semi sleazy funnel marketing with like the, the, the old school video sales letters and stuff. And it seems like now, like as the markets are becoming a bit more clued up to that stuff and not, not as responsive to that kind of thing, it's coming back around to just like, do I trust this person? And, um, can I just get on the phone with them and just talk through my, um, my problems with them? Yeah. And even coaching is more about that and talking to another human than it is about nutrition or exercise or how many qualifications or papers you read like most clients don't give a shit and if you start quoting papers to clients you're literally in the wrong job they don't care yeah the you know the uh quoting papers and getting really involved in like the metrics and the numbers and like oh well your exponential moving average for this has actually gone up and, it, and it's like unless your unless the your niche is also kind of super nerds then people are more interested in like can i just stick to my can this person help me stick to my program and navigate the challenges of of being a normal person um so the people that you work with then they are entrepreneurs can you talk to us about like how your coaching strategies adapted to to them as a population uh, yeah so they are a very diverse group in terms of 
they have lots of different lifestyles, lots of different starting points, you know, from, you know, people who already train five times a week to people who haven't been in the gym for 40 years. What they have in common is that they're very driven, switched on. They've got successful businesses. So you can kind of distill from that a common denominator, as it were. And I mean, essentially, it's the core of it is weekly calls. The weekly calls track data, make changes, the minimum possible effective dose to start seeing progress. And I do find a lot of coaches try and overcomplicate the process to kind mm. of show or prove themselves, prove value. And they're like throwing in all this crazy stuff. And I'm literally like, in the first week, I was like, right, how about one less beer and maybe don't have a pizza on Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, maybe just drop a pizza. And they're like, okay, I can do that. And then they drop a pound or half a kilo. And then next week we're like, let's do that again. Let's see how it goes. Is it, are you finding it hard? No, not at all. Not the slightest. Great. Awesome. Let's do that again. Um, and like, I try and keep it as simple as possible because I've been in the industry so long, because I have a shitload of science behind me. I don't feel the need to flop it out. I'm very happy. Just, I know what works. We can do it. If I need science, I can bring it out. But most of the time I don't. Well, the, this is the, um, the benefit of knowing that you don't, yeah, you don't need to kind of flex every opportunity and you can say, well, at the end of the day, we don't need false precision with coaching. Like if yeah, something, yeah. if something is working at this level of precision of one less beer per week, then that that's fine. Yeah, yeah. It ain't broken. We don't no need to fix it. And so, yeah, I think that's a really good point that, um, just because, coaches and pts nerd out on this stuff doesn't mean that the client cares and actually it's more of a headache for them and if you're able to um track with the minimum level of precision then we don't need to increase the precision until things break and then yeah, you yeah. Can step it up a level um, uh, yeah so I, you know I, I don't want to give the false impression that i'm like a totally lazy coach like <laughs> i i do i do use tracking with clients because the other thing about entrepreneurs is they want to get results and they want to get them like quickly so you know Often when we start, the changes are minimal, but I start gathering data straight away because ultimately when we plateau three or four weeks in, I want to have the data to be able to say, right, this is what we need to change. Let's get straight back on track, maintain the momentum and crush your goals as quickly as possible because that's what people want. So I do go for quite an aggressive approach because it, uh, it works with what the clients want, but then I bring them into land at the end. So I, I say, okay, we're going to go in hard. We're going to reach the goal. And then this is how we're going to do maintenance. And we're going to work together through maintenance as well. And then once you're maintained and we've removed the crutches, the artifacts of dieting, then I've set you free and you're fine. And I can chase you up in a year's time and, you know, you're still in shape. Well, this is a very kind of honest model of coaching as well, where it's like the goal of this process is for you to graduate from yeah. the need to have a, a coach every week. and. Yeah. And then we can just, as you said, like spread out the check-ins until they're set free. Yeah, 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 exactly. Exactly. I mean, yeah, I, I don't want people like this isn't a return business model. I don't want people coming back to me when they regain weight. This is a referral model. I want to get you shredded. I want you walking around like a billboard for my services. Um, and people are like, geez, how, how did you get into shape? It's like, well, there's these guys and they're awesome. You should check them out. That that is awesome. It's what it's what the uh, the market needs as well. Because I think there there is a um, there is a sense of like overcomplicating programs and almost confusing not just confusing the muscles, bro, but con confusing the clients so that they yep. they don't they're, they're reliant on you as a trainer and they they don't know how to progress beyond that. Whereas um, knowing that 
the results you produce will be the marketing in themselves and you can cut and the number of testimonials you've got on your website for example is is huge like you've got um reams of it so how do you what is your sales process and how do you like how do you know that you're always gonna get repeat business is it from referrals or do you do kind of direct response marketing uh referrals and word of mouth are my biggest thing to be honest and basically i've spent the last two three years traveling attending events for my own business development but also sat softly networking so i, I you know show up to an event talk to people hang out drink whatever else i think one of my first clients we met on a rooftop party in a hotel in bangkok um i think he's on my website um so yeah, it's super, super soft. And then people see me, I speak at some events, people see me, you know, they add me on Facebook. They ask me a question three months later, awesome. I answer, you know, super friendly. And three months after that, they see their friend has just dropped 20 kilos. And then three months after that, they reach out to me and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. I get them on a, a sales call, but it's, it's not a sales call because they're, they're already convinced. They know pretty much exactly what it entails because they've spoken to their friends and then we start working together. They have their transformation and then it snowballs. Um, and that, that, that's basically it. Like I've tried Facebook ads, zero success, LinkedIn, zero success, all this cold outreach. I appreciate I can improve and there's ways of making this stuff work. It hasn't worked for me. I haven't needed it up until now. But yeah. It's not very, not very sexy sales process, Emil. There's no one, the one secret trick, webinar hack, headline that no one wants you to know. And so, it, and and this is it, I suppose. Like it, that, it's it is playing the long game, and it is really yeah. doubling down on the human factor, which yeah. I think it's rare people, these days. Yeah, and you know, funnily enough, you you end up with an edge just because you're willing to do that. Um, and I guess people resist it because it's not like it's not quick and um, measurable and, you know, you can't kind of plot it out on a spreadsheet. It is just law of loose ties. Um, but this is the, the reality of it. And I think with, with the way that we generate leads as well, even though like obviously Johnny is an accountant and just goes full accountant on this stuff, but we still can't measure the, the direct return on each lead or each ad spend because often you'll have you know you yes you will get it on the front end but there'll be a load of people who enter the email lists and automations or have been following your blog for years or months and then they just reach out one day when they're ready and there's no specific email or instagram post or anything that's you know awakened them to your product it's just that they were ready and you were the front of their mind and it was a good match um so i suppose what you said about the sales call thing that um we've definitely followed business coaches in the past like when we first started we followed a sales script from a business coach that was just awful like the guy and we we followed it as as uh, as it was written but it didn't sit well morally with us and after a couple of months of doing it we were like no we can't continue doing this like the guy um it was quite a manipulative sales script and the coach himself actually prided himself on um making people cry during the call and he got like a sing- he got a single mother to remortgage her house so that she could um, sign up for his like nine nine seven training program or something. And you're just like oh god, but you know the- those kind of calls. I think not only are they kind of a bit of a bottom feeding kind of strategy, but they they get emotionally driven clients, and they are not good people to work with, are they? So um, you end up with like having to kind of drag people over the line rather than, as you said, you've got people who you've already built a relationship with 
and then they just really it's not yeah it's just they're just getting on the phone to say right i'm ready to ready to buy yeah. and i think with that kind of sales call it's so different because you know that there's not really anything on that call that you could do to sell them or to put them off unless you were like fuck you like i don't you know yeah, yeah. that it's like it's just the the start of the the coaching process it was a nice kind of smooth takeoff yeah and i hate sales calls so it suits me to a t and you know i've had a script in the past that's been quite heavy on the you know digging for pain i just skipped those bits because i didn't like doing them and i thought i was kind of chickening out and i was like oh, as i get better i'll you start using them and then i kind of spoke to another guy another mentor and he was like no you don't don't go digging into pain in fitness just identify the gap identify where they are now where they want to get to highlight that and then show them how you can get them from a to b and i was like that makes a lot more sense because i don't want to stir at pain or twist the knife or anything like that and just they just want to get a six-pack or drop 20 pounds like i can do this exactly it's a bit it feels sleazy and it's also you don't like i i want rational clients that have signed yeah. up for rational reasons and will just yeah. follow a process and you know so yeah well that i mean so, so, sorry go ahead i was just going to say like the, the best way to get results with clients is to build rapport and buy-in you know everything else is secondary if they believe you and if they will do what you tell them to do it doesn't matter what dieting philosophy or training philosophy you use they will have an amazing transformation and that's why allowing them to step over the line themselves willingly excited is the first step of them having huge buy-in and rapport and then they literally spend the calls building more buy-in and rapport and that's everything from you know me being in shape me living the same lifestyle the way i talk being a doctor the, ch- the prices i charge and all these other things build buy-in so when i say eat one less pizza they're like, boom, done. And then they drop yeah. weight. And then it's just like, this is magical. And I haven't changed anything. And I'm like, yes, this is what we're talking about. That's interesting. So actually you see the sales process as part of the building buy-in and adherence and compliance to the program once you're actually coaching them too. From the first time they see me, you know, that 12 months before, that's when the process starts. And that's why whenever they message me, I'm not like, do you want to get on a sales call? I'm just like, here's a shitload of value. Here's loads of free stuff. Here's posts that I've done. Um, you know, what is your goal? How are you, what, how are you doing to get there? And then if they're like, yeah, I'm trying this, this, and this, then I'm like, awesome, here's a resource. And then I just leave it because if they want someone, they'll say, they'll come to me because I've given them so much value and so many resources. And then they'll say, look, actually, can you help me? I'll be like, yeah, of course. Let's jump on a call. Here's my link. Yeah it's like to try and make someone buy coaching who's not ready for coaching it's not um like they're not going to be invested in it reminds me of uh, you know adam sawyers he won't mind me uh saying this so he's a he's an f f1 who's um he took some time out of, of being a doctor to to run a kind of boutique gym for a while um, but a couple of years ago i was chatting to him at a powerlifting meeting he was like oh, i'm looking for some help with my nutrition and he was eating a pizza at the time and he was like yeah i think i'll think i'll sign up for your program and i was like okay cool i took the pizza out of his hand and threw it he was like what are you doing and i was like well it starts now like <laughs> he was like well fair enough um but but yeah this is uh it's a really interesting concept that like because it it's in, it goes against the kind of quick fix mentality that a lot of the like six seven figure fit pro 
um, people are, are claiming, it's a quiet voice that's probably not going to be well heard, but it guarantees referrals, repeat business, adding proper value to your clients, minimizing your your refund request rates and all that kind of stuff, I imagine, too. I don't think I've ever done a refund. Well, there we um, go. I mean, what a uh, what, what a testament to the fact that like people who buy bought because they want to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for sure. And, that, and as you said as well, that means they're going to get results. So, yeah, why, why would you do it any other way? And actually, you, you know, you mentioned about, you know, the, the pizza, we joke about it. But actually, as a coach, I find I also go the other way because I know that my goal is for them to sustain this long term. So you get some people going gung-ho and they're like, I haven't eaten a pizza in three months. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, are you craving pizza? Yeah, massively. Right, it's time to have a pizza. You need to have a pizza. No, I don't want a pizza. Look, you need to have a pizza. Like, because you're going to get to the end of the six, nine-month process and I'm just going to find you buried under a box of 30 pizzas. You need to have a pizza. Just have it. <laughs> well, because, that's definitely going in the trailer. No, no, no. Because look, there's two processes. One process is dropping 20 pounds. That's the easy bit. You've done this a hundred times before. You've gained it back. What's different this time? You're going to have a fucking pizza. And this means you're going to sustain it because this pizza is on a pedestal of being forbidden. Like, have it. Enjoy it. And actually what I find is people are like, yeah, I had it. It was fine. It was okay. And then suddenly this becomes a choice. It's no longer a battle of willpower. You can't have pizza. It's suddenly, I choose not to have pizza, but tomorrow I choose to have pizza. And then that's a game changer. You've got sustainability then. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that goes for, for all things, really. When you when you no longer have an attachment or an aversion to something, you're totally free to choose and you know enjoy it if you want to. And uh, you know When you have people that are like, I'm sober and they're gritting their teeth and they're like, no, I won't have a beer, or people that are pounding the beers, the, the guy who can have a beer or take it or leave it yeah, is yeah. the one who's in the ultimate position of choice as you said um i, I kind of goofed on that one one day because i i remember back when we were coaching by email <clears throat> i got an email from someone that just said like subject line urgent please respond and i i didn't see it for kind of half an hour or so another follow-up email 20 minutes later that said like urgent capital letters like please help respond and i had a look and it was like Yusuf, please, like, I've acquired a box of 24 Krispy Kreme donuts and they're sat on my table and I don't know what to do. Please, like, help me. They're looking at me. And I, and I was like, don't mind, just eat the donuts. Like, we'll, we'll sort it out. Um, we'll sort it out tomorrow. Like, next, And then, like, I got an email about an hour later that just said, like, Yusuf, I'm number 13 into the donuts and I'm feeling really sick. And I don't know what, I'm like, I didn't mean, like, eat the entire box. Like, just, you know, have some common sense with it. Yeah, this is why I find calls work because you can have a conversation, um, and you can get the new the nuances and yeah, but yeah, it's an interesting one for sure. So, we've talked about your kind of your your sales process, if you could call it that, really just a a relationship building process at scale, um, and the fact that you were training in anaesthetics, which like. I was going to make a Sudoku joke before, but I think actually like anesthetics is like the, the deep end of medicine. I think and it's like, it's really hard stuff and very competitive to get onto. And a lot of people would feel a big sense of sunk cost with, yeah. with doing that and being like, well, I'm far into this training program now and it's a secure job and everything else. But you were kind of like, this isn't what I want. Do you have any advice for someone who 
is maybe in a, a position where they're in a they're in some kind of job, maybe outside of fitness. They feel like they've sunk a lot of cost into this, but they want to make the move. What would you suggest that they do? I mean, the question is: is if you knew what you what you know now, would you make the same decisions, or what would you do? So, you know, me in 2014, it was like, I, if I knew what I knew now, would I have chosen anesthetics? Would I have become a doctor? No. So why would I stay a doctor for the next 40 years? Why would I, you know, bite my nose off to spite my face just because I've done a few years, like 10 years of, of being a doctor? So, yeah, it was just very, very logical for me. And actually, to be fair, as a doctor, you know, it's not as if I suddenly left medicine and was suddenly like, yeah, I'm an entrepreneur, blah, blah, blah. It took me five years to fully transition. I it, left in it, 2015. It wasn't like, hand in my notice, next day I'm in Bali on a on a beach, coaching 20 clients. Yeah. When I left, I didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. And I, I did a post a couple of months back where I listed all my failures. And there was probably like 15 business ventures which failed during that time. But I was locuming as an A&E doctor throughout so I was making enough money to like survive. I was, you know, comfortable. And then over time, it just transitioned into less and less. And it was, I think 2017 was the first kind of inflection point or mindset shift. And then 2018, I started traveling, you know, had some like income goals. And then 2019 was my last year in the UK and my last year as a doctor. That was, yeah, literally 12 months ago, almost to the day I did my last shift in ER or A&E. So I remember you saying that you, yeah, like the landing strip was kind of you like, so for people that don't know, like to maintain your medical license, you have to do a certain minimum level of work each, each year yeah. to, to kind of keep up to date. And you were coming back to the UK just to do the minimum and then yeah. going back again. And you were kind of like, hang on, I'm not actually doing anything above this. I'm just doing yeah. what I need to, to maintain the registration. So final step, I'll just sack it off. I mean, even that wasn't as kind of discreet as that. It was, you know, I was doing less and less. And yeah, 2019, I did the bare minimum. I did my research trying to figure out what the bare minimum was. Uh, note, there is no precedent because people don't tend to do this. Um, so I, I kind of hodgepodge something together, got my reappraisal um, and then left for Asia like I did the previous year. And that was, I think, September time. And actually, at that point, we moved to Lisbon. We literally went to Lisbon, got a flat spent two weeks there and then left to go to Asia before Brexit, right? Um, so we could remain EU citizens. And then we went to Asia and then we then COVID happened and we were stuck in Malaysia and we were like, well, I can't get back to the UK anyway. I don't know that I really want to because if I do go back, then everything that I've built over the last five years is going to it's going to go to shit. I'm going to go backwards if I, if I go back now. So I have to make a choice. I'm at a, at a fork in the road. And then my GMC came up for renewal and I was like, okay, well, I mean, I've had, you know, over 12 months of business mentorship and relative stability. I've made a load of money. It's there's a load of money in the bank. My expenses are minimal. I'm just going to make the call and, and call it quits. Um, and again, I don't want to sound all heroic. Like I can go back relatively easily. Like I just, I just can't practice as a doctor in the UK. I'm still on the GMC register. I'm still a doctor. And if I actually said to them, actually, can I have my license back? Then because it's been such a short time, they'll be like, fine. After a year, it's going to be more difficult. After 10 years, it'll be more difficult. But if I'm looking for my license back after 10 years, then I've done something very wrong. Um, I, and I know I don't want to go back. 
So, uh, yeah, I, I yeah, I'm, I ain't going back. That's that's interesting. I think personally, like I, maybe because I'm I'm still quite junior relative to where to where you were, but I I see some utility at least from a kind of satisfaction and variety perspective to still do a bit of a bit of medicine, maybe in a GP clinic rather than a um, hospital setting, but certainly not at the number of hours that I'm doing right now. Um, but, you know, having the freedom of location and, um, and everything else to be able to just do little bits of, of work out in like Singapore or, um, Asia or whatever would be, would be really cool. Um, but I suppose at the end of the day, like this is a luxury that only this job really offers you, which is the, the flexibility. If you can totally let go of the sense of like keeping up with the, with the Joneses and trying to stay on top of, you know, cause I guess the job is so heavily training focused and competitive and exam based and everything that if you can just be like, I'm, I'm going to coast that you can do yeah. that, but very few people seem to choose to. Yeah. So, I mean, I, that, that annoyed me that I wasn't amazing at my job and I was good. Like I, I'm happy to say that, like I, I worked so hard in the first four years of medicine. I picked up like every single course you could, I did like loads and loads of uh, cases and emergency stuff in theater. Um, so when I moved to A&E, I was like really, really useful. Um, and I was good at it, but it annoyed me that I couldn't be amazing at it because I was distracted. So it was like, I need to choose one or the other. And I can't split my focus. It's like that standard quote, you know, you can't chase true rabbits, you'll miss both. Mm. So I was on a one-way trip. And I knew, I was like, okay, I'd love to be a good doctor. I enjoy being a doctor. I hate the system. I hate the hours. I hate being told what to do. So this is non, you know, I can't work this in. So I, I'm, I'm going to leave. Like, that's just how it is. And actually, every time I left to go to Asia or, you know, to travel, I got nostalgia for, for A&E. And then I went back and realized, no, no, that's not nostalgia. I don't want to be here at two in the morning. And then I left again. I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of liked it. It was nice, be, you know, status. And then I went back and I was like, no. And I did that enough times that eventually I was like, no, no, this is just bullshit. I'm out. Like, I'd much rather be on a beach in Bali than in A&E at two in the morning. That's interesting. Well, there's another argument as well, which is that to be amazing in medicine, I think people don't have an appreciation for, like, how deep the rabbit hole goes with yeah, yeah. with this job and how, like, yeah. you've got some, some of the most incredible yeah. minds that are, like, throwing everything into it and i spoke to a uh, he's a med student he's done he's just qualified now but his goal has, for, since three years ago has always been to go and work for a boutique hedge fund or in like mergers and acquisitions or private equity he's got no interest in being a doctor long term and it's purely because he's seen it from a very like utilitarian perspective of for the amount of time and energy and effort that i could put into this job the return is really capped as a doctor but if I put that same energy and intelligence, everything into um, private equity, I'd do pretty well. So that imply that assumes that you have total indifference to the to the what you're doing day to day. But it's a really interesting perspective because, yeah, like the same applies for entrepreneurship. That as long as you have the risk appetite for it, applying the same level of effort into a process like that will get you a much better return on your time and energy. I mean, people say medicine is competitive. Once you're a doctor, you will progress. However shit you are, as long as you don't royally fuck up, you will progress. Like the idea of medicine being a meritocracy after med school, I mean, even during med school, if you get into med school, 
you're pretty much going to be spat out the other end as a GP or a consultant. So like that killed me. I was like, why should I try hard? Why should I do extra work? And as you say, to be a good doctor, it's really hard. Like you need to do the long shifts, the long hours, the extra hours. And then when you get home, you need to revise for exams, do extracurricular learning, be on top of papers. And it's not just knowing all the drugs and everything else like in, in A&E or anesthetics. It's also being really fucking good with people and being able to kind of get into their, not get into their heads, but like be able to empathize with them to like deal with, with these issues. So to be a really good doctor is really hard, but there's no incentive for it. None, none whatsoever. And I was like, why? Why would I try I'm already a good doctor with minimal effort. Now I'm just going to go and apply my skills somewhere else where I get rewarded for it. Where actually, if you put in the effort, then there is a financial reward. And I, directly and, proportional. Yeah. And I've heard people say that um, entrepreneurship is a vessel for personal growth that's disguised as a money-making scheme. And that makes so much sense because, yeah, all of those same skills that you've you've described there apply very much with yeah. running your own business because you are the accounts department, the marketing department, the content, the customer service, you, you're everything. Yeah. Um, and so being able to, like it forces you to build out those skills and to round yourself yeah. out as a, as a person and, and grow along the process. And there's no way that I would be the person that I am today without having been kind of constantly shaved down by um, all of the, the challenges that, that we face. So even if it's just, for that purpose, just from a sense of personal growth and you don't care about the money, um, I would recommend everyone just dip their toe into this. I agree. I mean, it's like an infinite challenge. Like it doesn't end. You can go in as far as you want. And if you fuck up, then the world and business will tell you. And that's, that is, that's literally how it is. It's like very raw. There's no one like, there's no one looking after you. It's like, it's you. Um, Especially as a nomad, you've not got like, the family you've not got like welfare structures you've not got anything like if shit goes down in in some random place in thailand then it's on you're on your own <laughs> yeah well I, I really want to talk to you about the nomad stuff actually the um the thing that just to kind of round off something that came to mind was this sense of sunk cost with whatever someone's doing prior to going full-time online as a coach is like the analogy that I've heard in Essentialism, a book I'm reading recently by Greg McEwen, fantastic book. I think it's just the perfect book for me at this time of my life. I don't know if everyone would get the same same benefit from it, but he says, if you were to look at like a T-shirt you have in your wardrobe that you don't wear, and someone was like, oh, you, you should probably throw this away. Like you don't use it. Most people would be like, oh no, but because they value things that they have more than things that they don't have. So if someone said like, imagine the t-shirt wasn't yours and someone was like, how much would you pay to buy this t-shirt? You'd probably be like, well, I, I wouldn't like maybe a pound. And so it's so interesting. I know there's a few studies where they gave people a mug. You might've heard of this where, and then they said, um, right, this mug is yours. How much will you sell it for? And then they gave another group of people, um, they showed them the mug and they said, how much would you like to buy this for? And the people who had the mug and were selling it always felt like they, they valued it higher. Um, and I think this, the same thing goes for, yeah, the sunk cost, the whatever we have in our current lifestyle. Um, but it seems like you've kind of detached yourself from that and you've been like, okay, here's what I really value in life. Was this a conscious process? Like, did you look at what gave you the most happiness and reward and designed your lifestyle around it? Uh, I'd love to say it was a conscious process, but it was it was not. It was uh, an evolution over time. And initially it was moving away from what I didn't want, which was 
the future in medicine. And then it was eventually moving towards what I wanted as I discovered what it was that I wanted. But like as a super simple example, like I wanted to train at 2 p.m. That's when I want to train. And as a doctor, you can't do that. No chance. And I, like, <laughs> and I was like, well, like I enjoy training a lot. It's like throughout university, I trained at 2 p.m. As long as I passed my exams, no one cared. And then like as I started working, I was like, I don't, why am I doing this? So that was like the super simple thing. And then I, I left and started training what I wanted to and was making money. And I was like, this is kind of cool. And then, as I said, 2017, I discovered that there's a world where people can make a shitload of money while traveling. And I was like, okay, now this is what I want. Um, and then it was kind of went from a negative, like being pushed away to being pulled towards and, and then things changed. And now I've defined kind of what I want and values and things like that. Um, but it's a journey. It's an evolution. Um, but yeah. So as opposed to like turn that into a process it's just what is the biggest frustration in your life like was the like and at that time it was not being able to train at a normal time of the day and yeah like having to train at either like 6 a.m or 11 p.m and yeah and just being like well that's the first thing and then once you've got that nailed it's like okay what else could i improve on my life and then i suppose you get to the point where as you said you go from improvements to make your life tolerable to what would make it where's yeah where's the ceiling but another thing, and I ask this to so many people who come to me for like advice or whatever, they say, what would you suggest for X, Y, Z? And I say, what are your goals? And usually they stop talking to me at that point. And I'm just like, and, and there's a huge debate over whether you need goals. And I think we actually had this debate about process goals versus outcome goals. And I'm just like, you need a goal to set the direction of travel. And you need to sit down and figure this out. Because if you don't, you will just just travel through life on a conveyor belt, especially in the NHS, and you'll just get spat out at the other end, wherever you end up. So you need to actually sit down and spend some time figuring out what you want in life. And if it's the standard progressive medicine, buy a house, buy a car, you know, start a family, get a dog, they leave, retire, whatever, then that's fine. But do it consciously, do it actively. If that's not what you want, then make a stand, figure it out and start moving towards it it's so easy as well to just think like, Oh, well, this is what I should be doing. Like I had a chat with um, a guy called Lewis Potter recently who um, set up the, I think the best and highest ranking revision resource for, for med students. And he was talking about um, how like his consultant wants him to do this audit and, and so on. And, and like, he was like, hang on, like, is this actually, is this going to improve my life in any way or is it just his agenda wants me to kind of do the legwork for his project and I'm actually like no and the consultant's like oh well I, I don't want um people that just clock off at the end of the day and it's like well sorry that's that's who I am and I suppose like that that's kind of having to put in your boundaries to be like is this yeah. serving my higher purpose or not yeah. um and it's quite easy to just fall into the trap as you said especially with any professional job where you're just being like pushed along by the whole yeah. steamroller um to not to, to lose sight of your own goals i mean most people don't have goals like flat out they have no goals no values and it's just a case of sitting down and working this out and also being very careful that they're not society's goals or your family's goals it's very easy to say oh yeah i just want to you know make 100k a year and you know have a family and live in a semi-detached house and have a nice car it's like all right fine great if that's truly what you want or is that just arbitrarily what everyone else wants around you which is very reasonable and, and achievable. Like, what do you really want? 
and then you can start to find it. But it just hurts to think about because then you have the, I don't know what I really want. Am I going to disappoint people if I want something that they don't want me to want? And then, mm. okay, I actually want more. Oh shit. I have to now actually work to achieve that, but it's very comfortable here. So it just like, it, it opens the, you know, the kind of worms of emotion and bullshit, which is why people stop talking to me after I ask them, what's your goal? And I'm just it like, opens oh. up the sense of like wanting approval from other people or discomfort with um, upsetting people or letting people down. Or So there's a chapter in a book that I read recently called, well, I read it ages ago, but I'd always come back to it, of The Way of the Superior Man by David Dada. And the chapter is, live as though your father was dead. I've talked about this on another couple of podcasts where it's the thing which caused me to uh, make a few big changes in my kind of life decisions. And the the chapter goes into like, it's not literally your father. It's any inherited values or social constructs or expectations that you've inherited from your society, your religion, your parents, whatever, um, that yep. have been left unexamined and you're still pursuing. Yep. And it's only when you fully die to that, that you can be like, right, actually, is this someone else's goal or not? Yep. And I think you're right. Like even the hundred K a year goal, people might think they want that, but it's like, are they prepared to to live the day that would be required to do that? Or would they rather have a simpler life and um, have more time available in their day? Yeah. Or, you know, and I guess it, that cocktail is what you have to kind of determine yourself. Or would you like more money and working less? That's another option, a very valid, very real option. So, but people then get scared and then all the other societal blocks and everything comes in and everyone goes back in line and yeah, sorry, <laughs> Let's uh, yeah. continue down the path. Exactly. So this, I, we've come through kind of full circle here of like working in a job with multiple constraints, taking on um, the values and expectations of the job, recognizing that making the jump or the fear of making the jump is limited by society and by the sense of sunk cost um the sense of how much would i pay for this t-shirt if it wasn't mine and then making incremental improvements to your lifestyle and being like here's what here's what i would need to address to make myself happier um and then along the process getting clients just from a very organic like network um of, of building those relationships what i've kind of lost my train of thought now um oh yeah so what what would be your advice like if someone wants to get started in this they're not in a position where they could quit their job they still need to start building a an income that can at least begin to support them um how would you suggest someone get started so first off 100 percent, don't quit your job like all of this heroic jump off a cliff is dumb in my opinion like people like you know there's no plan b uh, and all this kind of stuff like it's just it's stupid like i worked for five years while building my business i failed 20 times while building my business like why would i give up a very comfortable lifestyle while building my business and actually as i started meeting more and more entrepreneurs i was asking them like do i need to bottom out do i need to be sleeping under a you know, a box to be successful as an entrepreneur. And even the ones who had done that were like, no, don't be stupid. That's, that's done. Like have a backup, build it on the side, but just be ready when opportunities come one and two, when you need to make that leap, because at some point you do. 
Um, so be ready for those things. And I mean, the first step is, is set a goal, like decide what you actually want. Because if you want to work 20 hours a week and, you know, earn 50K a year, that's probably very easily doable with an online business. Um, if you want to be a millionaire, then that's doable, but will require slightly different actions. So just figure out what you want. It doesn't have to be the final goal. It doesn't have to be like carved in concrete. Just figure something out and move towards it and then go from there. And I mean, just start reading books. You don't know what you don't know. Start reading books. Set a goal for this year and just just read. doesn't even matter what. I'm not even going to give you advice as what to read. Just start reading. Nice. Wise words there, yeah, for sure. Especially with um, the level of wisdom that's just available to us for like six pounds a pop or something three three pounds if you get an audible membership <laughs> like an annual membership is three pounds for a book like it's a no-brainer <sighs> like to to save yourself a year well like it a lifetime of someone's um someone's lessons that they've condensed into i mean hours. this is super super cliche and i kind of wanted to experiment with it because it was kind of funny but last year i set goal to read 104 books, two books a week, because you hear about, oh yeah, all CEOs read X books, like a book a week and blah, 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 whatever. And I was like, well, it would be quite funny if I did this. And in March or February of last year, I did a short video, like as I was signing up to a business mentorship program and I was like, Hey, I'm Emil and I, you know, make 3k a month from coaching or something. Um, and I'd like to blah, blah, blah. And basically my business just exploded whether it was due to the books, whether it was due to anything else, whether it was a combination of a million factors, whether it was total coincidence, I don't care. If you read a shitload of books, your life will improve. Is that because of, um, so is there anything that you can, by the sound of it, not that you, you can look back and attribute like, oh, it was this lesson or whatever, or is it more just that you're kind of installing modules that are kind of running in the background into your brain and through some, unconscious process like things just start to click Uh, yeah exactly that you you kind of you accumulate whatever it is and then you reach a tipping point and one way of accumulating that stuff is reading one way is having mentors or coaches one way is just hanging out with people who are thinking in a different way or at a different level Um, and all of that came together and as i said my first inflection point was end of 2017 my second inflection point was start of 2019 um and you know it just kind of kept rocketing up it was it was pretty nuts nice i'm I'm gonna plug a video from our youtube channel uh called how i read 30 books a year while working as a doctor now it's, it's not 104 books a year but uh but it covers some of the kind of practical processes that anyone listening can um can go through and and do follow emil on instagram as well he uh, puts up a lot of like um stories of books that he's he's reading currently or or lessons and insights from them um this kind of leads me into the the next question i was going to ask you which was what's what are you currently working on and what's your um are there any kind of habits or um changes that you've picked up from this year that have been valuable to you yeah good question so this year i kind of my big movements were identifying my kind of why and my values which then made decision-making a lot more easy because when something came up as an option, I was like, I just tested it against my various, you know, exactly. And I was like, okay, well, this is a no. No decision fatigue, no worries. Let's just keep going. Um, so that was the kind of the big the big change. Um, and then the other, I mean, the big thing I'm working on is my coaching. I'm, I'm looking to expand and grow my coaching. Initially, it was just me 
coaching people now there's a team of uh, four of us and we're, we're you know growing further and I'm kind of stepping back from all of the one-to-one coaching and getting on calls with people every week because I push myself to the edge and you know I've got a team in to coach people who are better at me better at coaching than me which is great um and yeah looking to expand and grow that I have a, a line of supplements um which I'm kind of kind of working on um and then I didn't investing. Yes. That is awesome. Bloody hell. I mean, yes. I, I always felt like the amount of red tape involved in launching a supplement line must be huge. I'm not going to pretend that I did the heavy lifting. Um, I partnered up with some people uh, who are very good at e-commerce and this kind of thing, and we tag-teamed it. They're, they're available in the States on Amazon at the moment, but nice. we're looking at kind of exploding from there. But that, that's one thing, and then investing in... You know, that's all good fun right now. And I think we've spoken about that a little bit. Yeah, we have. Cool. So there's so there's some big um big kind of offshoots of the business to really go from um yeah. building a financially independent kind of um traveling freedom lifestyle business into one that's more scaled now. Um yeah. what about from a personal perspective? So you mentioned reading, seeking mentors, um spending yeah. like just having some dedicated downtime. Yeah. Um, anything else? Yeah. So the dedicated downtime is the biggest thing for me. Um, is is uh, someone mentioned having days off as a KPI, as a key performance indicator, and for me that was mind blowing. I was like, so actually, if I have more days off, that's a good thing. And I was like, well, yeah, because it is. It is kind of you know one of my values, like freedom, and it's not just freedom to travel where I want to and freedom to you know train at two p.m. It's freedom to not work. Yeah. if I don't want to. So that's a big thing I'm working on right now, which is just having more dedicated time off. We're in a co-working space. That's where we work. So when we leave the co-working space, I leave my laptop there, which is amazing. I don't you know, look at my phone on a Saturday, for example. So I'm starting to kind of expand my boundaries, block off times, whereas before I was just working all the time. So that's the biggest change for me. And it's like the next evolution. So I'm really guilty of that. And I think it's because like, I've just got such narrow window of, windows of time outside of hospital shifts yeah, to yeah. get the propane stuff done and it ends up yeah. just expanding um, to fill everything. But uh, was it was it a strategic coach that you're talking about with the KPI for days off? Uh, it was it was a business coach. Uh, it was a, an advert I saw on Instagram and the, the advert was like a three minute advert and they mentioned having KPIs, uh, okay. having that as a KPI. And I was like, okay, that's that's nice. That's a nice idea. Right, because I, I I don't know if it's um it might might have been is his name something O'Sullivan? No, he, no, it's not him. Okay, um, but yeah, he he talks about kind of a similar thing and um the idea that if you're always working at a six out of ten, like a simmering yes. six, compared to having dedicated like zero and ten, and yeah. when you're working, you're fully working rather than just doing kind of busy work, checking through emails yeah, and yeah. stuff for for long periods of the day. And it just grinds you down. It means you can't then produce your best work. I read that like a week ago. Was it you who told me about it? I'm not sure. It was on a Tim Ferriss podcast. And then I saw someone, I'm on, I'm on quite a few email lists and someone quoted it yeah, as well. So I, I saw that literally a week ago and that was a big paradigm shift for me. You who know? was the original person? Maybe Josh Waitskin. I can't remember. If not, then remember. Josh, we've just... Uh, misattributed your <laughs> a quote to you there um but i just yeah. want to just jump in there and just say that like the hustle is required at some point like if you're working a full-time job and i said i, I wouldn't quit 
and trying to build something on the side, then yes, you do need to you need to do more work than you'd like to. But eventually you need to get to a point where you learn how to chill the fuck out. Because I work with quite a few people who have sold their companies. And you know, people say, when I you know build a company and earn this much money, I'll have a rest. Doesn't happen. When I sell my company, I'll have a rest doesn't happen it's not about time it's about mindset so if you're not working on the mindset of taking you know chilling the fuck out you won't do it so you need to learn that as a skill and that is a skill and it's hard very much especially when um, anyone who's gone from working a job where the hours are defined and you know everyone's like oh friday fun day like let's get let's get leathered kind of because there is a defined endpoint and it's like i left work and the building's over there as you said, like the laptop or the computers over there and now I'm off. But suddenly when you're thrown into being self-employed and you have total free reign over your day and it's like, yeah. oh, I actually need to create my own structure or it's just going to completely consume yeah. me. It's very easy to do that, to, to work all the time. Yeah. Especially when it's on your phone and you just, you know, I'm just answering an email or a message. Yeah. I've Yeah, I've just turned notification got all notifications off on my phone like we've, we've done that for a few years but we were like i mentioned to johnny the other day i was like can you imagine if we had notifications enabled like you the phone would just constantly be making noises like it wouldn't you just get nothing else done um so i think just doing that in batch and not having email on your phone or facebook or anything where like if it's you know if it's going to require because e- at least for me email requires like sitting down and actually having giving it some thought so just having emails on your phone just so that they can stress you out and be like oh well yeah, i've yeah, yeah. got that to deal with but i can't deal with it now what's the point in having it on there is just taking up mental headspace yeah 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 so man this has been absolutely fascinating and it's really cool to see the the, the journey that you've gone through and also just how kind of um deceivingly simple the the, the insights are from this but it's just a case of like not falling in for the um, the flashing lights and the the shining the, the shiny objects, and just it's doing it's the what same as nutrition. Done. I mean, there's a lot of coaches listening to this. Like, yeah, you can give people bells and whistles, but you, they just need to be in a calorie deficit. And it's often the same with business. You just need to do the simple things consistently, persistently for a long time, and keep improving and learning. And I mean, I'm not going to say you'll inevitably achieve success. It's like if you read 100 books, you probably won't achieve success. But the fact that you've gone to the effort of reading 100 books means that you're in a space where you're more likely to achieve success. Um, And if you're looking for a guarantee, then you're you're doing it wrong. Yeah, like, and and by reading 100 books, like, not only have you become the kind of person who is consistent enough to read 100 books, but you've also, yeah, you've put yourself in the way of the most luck, the most... um, potential things that could yeah. shoot you forwards sweet and and i, I don't we... recommend reading 100 books in a year it's pointless um <laughs> a more moderate number is fine well yeah i think um i i'm kind of coming back around to but this is because i went through a phase of just mindless acquisition of information and I, my evernote has got five thousand notes in now and i'm looking back and i'm thinking there are lifetimes of insights and lessons in this thing that i that i've just like finished a book and moved on to the next one the next one rather than actually like if i just sat down and read the same book 10 times in a year and really digested it and put it into practice probably would have gone a lot further yeah um and that's the difference between like me and johnny's 
reading styles that he's very implementation focused and he's pretty much stopped reading or if he does and there's something that's like actionable he'll just close the book and go and do it um which is awesome yeah that's interesting i'm I'm definitely your style i I just hammer through them it's uh it's a bad habit of mine i think but um i'm coming around to um i think you 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 need to have that initial critical mass because then you'd certainly reach a point where the books that you read are almost saying the same things because most things within business or within self-help or whatever have all been kind of said and you're like okay the whole field there's not really much adding to the field at this point let's just go and implement yeah i suppose to flip that when i read a book i get super inspired super pumped up um so i figure if i keep reading books i'll just be constantly inspired and pumped up and if i hear something which is good yeah i'll note it down but then i'll forget about it but then i'll hear it again a month later and i'll hear it again three months later and then eventually when it, the time is right i'll hear it again and i'll implement it and if i don't hear it again it'll make no difference it, it'll come when it comes emil it's been an absolute pleasure how can we find out more about you um yeah so my website is dremil.com and what a domain. On, yeah yeah <laughs> um and my yeah my, my instagram is Project Goliath. I'm mainly on stories, to be honest. I think I have like nine posts of me in Bali, and then the rest is just uh, stories of quotes and books and pictures of Lisbon. Project Goliath on Instagram. Cool. Yeah. And actually, yeah. actually Dr. Emil Dr. is a long D-O-C-T-O-R Emil. Uh, okay. I, I actually own the other domain. I just haven't set up the redirect yet. Maybe I'll set that up. Maybe that's my motive. Maybe I'll do that. Fine. Let's, let's do it. Well, we'll stick that in the show notes. Fine. Um, and yeah, if you are an entrepreneur looking for, um, physique coaching, Emil is the man. I can help for sure. All right. Boom. Want to learn more about the systems we use to run, build and scale propanefitness.com? Head over to propanefitness.com forward slash business podcast and you can get your hands on our free training that covers the seven steps that we take with every client that we help build their own online business and also the seven steps that we use to successfully build Propane Fitness. We walk through the sales systems, the delivery systems, follow-up, remarketing, how to basically build your program so that it delivers coaching to your clients without you being there 24-7. We really do cover the full thing, right? And if you want to continue even further and potentially work with us, there's a chance to book in a call to have an informal chat with Yusuf or I to just basically see if any of our programs would be a fit to help you get from where you are to where you want to get to. So go to propinfitness.com forward slash business podcast today and get access to that. If you'd like to learn just more about Yusuf and I, more about us, what we do, follow us on the various channels. The best place to go is our YouTube channel. We have a load of stuff from fitness content, productivity content, why Yusuf slept on the floor for several months, why he's been having cold showers. There's always stuff on there that's entertaining and hopefully informative. So just go to YouTube, search for Propane Fitness, and you can find out a bit more about us there as well. Speak to you on the next episode.